right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time to say Alright, let's go. Break it! Break it! Let it cross! Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Yo, what's going on? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk, or shall I say Nick Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer, Derek Johnson on vacation today. He'll be gone today and tomorrow. So Nick Chuck Sports Talk to start the week here on a Monday and Tuesday here on KLWN. It's been a very exciting time. A lot going on around KU, both on the basketball and football side. As uh, we'll get into some Floyd Bedunga talk here in just a moment. We got David Lesky joining the show coming up at about 3.40 to talk about the Kansas City Royals. Some Lance Leipold audio from over the weekend. The return of Case of the Mondays as well. Oh, and also the Chiefs. They played a preseason game uh, yesterday. We'll get into that. John Kirby of Jayhawks Lance is going to join the show later on in the 4 o'clock hour. We have our KU football superlatives in the 5 o'clock hour as well. Like I said, packed show. Tons going on. Tons to talk about. And before we get into it, we'd like to remind you that Rock Chalk Sports Talk is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Right off the top here, though, five-star center Flory Badunga picks Bill Self and Kansas on Saturday night in what was a murky, shadowy recruitment that took a bunch of twists and turns. But in the end, Bill Self emerges from the smoke, and he's got a five-star center committed to Kansas in the class of 2024. Flory Badunga, he is a 6'8", 215-pound center, the number five overall prospect in the 2024 recruiting class, a five-star number one center in the class. And he picks Kansas on Saturday night. And this is a recruitment that was just a roller coaster if you had been really paying attention closely. Uh, as A couple weeks ago, a month ago, it seemed like it was Duke. So I'm trying to remember exactly when at I'm trying to remember exactly when he officially narrowed his list to four schools. Uh, He narrowed it to four schools. It was uh, Duke, Michigan, Auburn, and Kansas. Those were the four that he narrowed it down to. And like I said, about a month ago, it seemed like it was Duke was maybe the front runner. Uh, And then last week, it seemed like Auburn was maybe the front runner. And the thing about Kansas was, there wasn't a lot of necessarily recruiting experts saying that Kansas was a going was like, you know, they were they weren't necessarily crystal balling him to Kansas, but Kansas it, they were always it seemed like Kansas was always in the hunt uh, was always right there, and as it turns out, they ended up landing him right. So you know, a month ago it seemed like it was Duke, then it seemed like okay, well maybe Auburn can can get involved, and then maybe now maybe it's Auburn, and uh, but in the end it's Bill Self once again. Uh, the ultimate recruiter who comes out on top here with Floyd Badunga. So a huge commitment for KU basketball in the class of 2024. So this is a guy who's going into his senior year. So he won't be he won't be joining the team this year, but a top five guy in the class of 2024. In fact, the highest rated recruit Kansas has gotten since Josh Jackson. Uh, so a very, very big commitment to say the least for KU. And, and again, I mean, leading up to it, it, Floyd Badunga played this very, very close to the chest. There was not really a lot to go off of. 
uh, publicly in terms of what was going on. It was a lot of keeping the schools in the dark, and that's why you kind of had some some conflicting reports. You had guys saying that they thought it would be uh, Duke or Auburn. And I didn't really – there wasn't really much on Michigan, but they were obviously in the top four, and then, of course, Kansas as well. So, and uh, it's this is one of those things where, remember, I mean, flashback to the spring, this same thing kind of happened to Kansas, where it felt like it was Kansas for McKenzie and Baco, uh, and then all of a sudden, at the last second, things kind of change. That kind of seems like maybe how this recruitment went down as well, where it seemed like maybe Kansas wasn't necessarily the front runner; they were always there, and then kind of in the eleventh hour, they were able to to maybe outmaneuver some of these other schools and, and land a commitment. So a huge commitment for KU. Certainly, uh, he is a center, and uh, Kansas now has a top five guy for the first time since Josh Jackson. So a big, big commit. Uh, for as far as his scouting report, like I said, he's he's number five in the class of twenty twenty four, a center. He's got a lot of bounce from what from what I've read. Uh, he's a very, very athletic big man that can really, really run. He's got a wide wingspan, and uh, there's kind of different. There's kind of conflictions about just exactly how tall he is. 247 Sports officially has him listed at 6'8". I've seen people. I've seen some people list him as tall as 6'10". So he's in that range uh, of being a center, but really a, a big guy with a lot of power and is able to move very, very well. Also, so very, very impressive player uh, for his age and where he's at. So uh, a really, really great snag for Kansas to say the least. Very physically imposing and powerful, and probably could still continue to grow as well. So. Uh, it's it's a big commit for KU, and he's and he's got a lot of speed, and I think that the speed I think really sticks out to me, or the the speed com- combo with athleticism really sticks out to me when I was kind of reading about him, because if you look at what KU has pivoted towards, I mean, just look at the look at this year's team going into the season, it seems pretty obvious that Kansas has pivoted towards they they want to be more athletic, they want to be the most athletic team on the floor, and that's something that they've that they've really worked at and that seems to be that seems like they're that's going to be the case for them this season with you look at the team they've constructed for this year and then now going forward it seems like that's kind of maybe what Bill Self is is focusing on a bit more and Floyd Bedunga certainly certainly fits that so highest rate recruit since Josh Jackson comes in and now you look ahead to 2024 and the big discussion here Around this, around this commitment, and even something that I highlighted on the show previously when discussing the the, the Florida Bedunga recruitment situation, is Kansas has Hunter Dickinson this year, and Hunter Dickinson could potentially return for a second year at KU if he if he wanted to. And that was something that always kind of gave me pause because in my mind I was thinking, you know, if Florida Bedunga wants to commit or is ready to commit at this point, that leads me to believe that maybe. Those other schools, maybe your Duke or Auburn, might be better positioned because with Kansas, if Hunter Dickinson comes back for 2024, suddenly Floyd Bedunga doesn't really, uh, as a backup, I mean, he's, I mean he's, he's a top five prospect. He's probably not wanting to go somewhere where he's potentially going to be a backup his first year. So that was kind of something, it wasn't a red flag, but it was definitely like a yellow flag. Like, a oh, okay, uh, you know, Kansas probably doesn't know one way or another if Hunter Dickinson is for sure going to come back for another year or not. It's hard to obviously it's you know that's a year away. It's hard to say, but uh, this is clearly a situation where KU felt maybe more confident that they could go ahead and, and continue to to make this move. And the reality situation is, and Bill Self has shown this, 
and I and I've even talked about it, and I, I talk about it, but then I don't always practice what I preach when it comes to this kind of stuff, which is that you have to recruit as if the guys on your roster that you have now are not going to be returning. Uh, you know, this was a long, this was an ongoing discussion with the Kevin McCullough situation, where you have to Kansas was had to go out and and recruit aggressively, planning as if Kevin McCullough was not going to return. And I think that's the right way to approach it. And, and, that, and this is, I think that's the approach that KU basically took here And that if Hunter Dickinson has a chance to come back for a second year but it's not a guarantee, you have to recruit and operate as if he is not going to come back. And that's what this Floyd Bidunga commitment really sig- symbolizes to me or signifies to me is that that's kind of how KU was approaching the situation is, okay, we Hunter Dickinson could come back for a second year, but we can't plan on that. We can't bank on that. We can't you know, rely on that to be a possibility. We need to make sure that we still are going out and looking for the best players that we can find that want to come play basketball at Kansas. And that certainly seems to be the case here with, with Floyd Bidunga. Now, does that mean that Hunter Dickinson is going to be gone after this year? I, I don't know. It's hard to say. I will say that, you know, I think if Hunter Dickinson goes out and averages 20 and 10 or, you know, and is a first-team All-American and Kansas makes a big run in the NCAA tournament, maybe they win the whole thing. Maybe they're national champions. To me, if if Hunter Dickinson averages twenty and ten and K wins a national championship, I would assume he has to be gone, right? I mean, what more is there that he could possibly do to try to elevate his NBA draft stock? If he is the best player on the best team that wins a national championship, there you you can't you can't increase your draft stock any more than that. I mean, look at Ochai he came back, you know, won a national championship. There you go. So I suspect that if that's the case, now if Hunter Dickinson maybe doesn't have a great year, Kansas maybe doesn't end up going very far in the NCAA tournament, one thing leads to another or whatever, however that plays out, maybe there's a chance that he does end up returning. But you can't bank on that if you're Kansas. You can't bank on Hunter Dickinson possibly coming back for a second year. So this makes a ton of sense in this recruitment. Kansas was clearly heavily in on, on Badunga and ultimately got him. And uh, it, it's a great sign. It's a great sign for KU recruiting-wise. And, I mean, you look at the recruiting run that Kansas has been on now with Bill Self basically from the end of last season in the transfer portal, getting some freshmen in, uh, you know, adding a guy like Johnny Furphy, who seems like he's someone that certainly outwardly the staff is very, very high on, and, and they seem to think that he could be somebody who could be a, a real player for Kansas in 2023. You add him, and then in the matter of a couple weeks later, you get a guy like this with Floyd Bedunga, who's your highest-rated recruit in six, seven years uh, since Josh Jackson. And uh, you know the other thing about this is that's rather interesting is does this signal that Kansas is back to being a school that could land those top five players in a class? You look at what KU has done in recruiting, and there's been no shortage of McDonald's All-Americans. There's been no shortage of five-star recruits. There's been no shortage of high, high-level basketball players. But they haven't necessarily been getting necessarily the top guys, the top five guys, the top ten guys. Uh, in in each class, and I don't know. Is this maybe a change in that? Is this does this mean that Kansas is now back in on as a as a team that can go get these guys? And the reason, you know, I don't want to get too far into it, but the reason that I kind of have felt like maybe Kansas wasn't necessarily always a, a destination school for the top two, th- top three, top four, top five guys in a class is because Bill Self. Everybody that you talk to about Bill Self as a recruiter and as a coach, he's a straight shooter. He's going to be very honest with you. 
And I wonder how much with some, uh, especially guys that are top one, top two, top three recruits or top guys at that at their positions, whatever what positions, whatever it may be, you know, top ten guys in the class. I wonder how many of those guys maybe sometimes they don't necessarily want to hear the straight shooter. They don't necessarily want to hear that type of stuff. They want to hear, hey, come and play for us and we'll and you'll be a one and done, i.e. the Kentuckys of the world, basically. Uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's a shift. Maybe now Kansas is back in on this, uh, on getting those types of players. Because it's not like Kansas has been recruiting poorly, obviously. I mean, you know, every year they've got multiple McDonald's All-Americans. Every year they've got very, very high-level talent. But, again, this is your highest-rated recruit since Josh Jackson. This is your first top-five recruit since Josh Jackson. This is your first really even top-10, top-15 guy in a little bit, it, it would seem. So, is Kansas back maybe in play for those really, really high, high-level top-tier guys? Because obviously they've, they've gotten plenty of McDonald's All-Americans. They've gotten plenty of really, really top-tier talent. But they haven't necessarily gotten a, an Andrew Wiggins, a Josh Jackson, in five, six, seven years. Is that is that changing a little bit now? Does that mean that they maybe they will get those level of guys? Time will tell, I guess. Time will tell. But it's clear that Bill Self is continues to be rejuvenated, continues to be reinvigorated. I mean, think about the conversation around Bill Self five months ago. This was a guy that people thought after his health situation, maybe he could retire. Maybe he might that might be the end of his career. I mean, that was a real discussion five months ago. And and look what he's done since then. He's come back and he's landed multiple high level recruits. He's brought Kevin McCuller back for another year, brought Hunter Dickinson in from the transfer portal. Then he goes out, adds Furphy, and now adds Floyd Bedunga. I mean, this is a guy that clearly appears to be very, very dedicated and committed to continuing to be the coach at KU and continuing to flourish at KU for, for many years into the future, which uh, I'm sure there's got to be uh, there's got to be some relief there from from KU fans considering where the conversation was with Bill Self five months ago, and maybe it was rightfully so. I mean, they, you know, Bill Self had even said in the past that he wasn't sure how long he would necessarily want to be a coach, but then you have the health situation, and it seems it seems to have done the complete opposite of what maybe you logically might have expected it to be. Where instead of it being a situation where it was like, hey, you know, maybe this is a time where I maybe this is a sign that I need to go ahead and you know call it quits, call it a career, and just kind of focus on myself, focus on health, whatever, instead of something the complete opposite. It's, hey, now I'm even more rejuvenated. I'm even more energized. I want to get back out there even more. And, I mean, look at, at the evidence speaks for itself. The evidence speaks for itself. I mean, look at what he's done over the past five months, over this past summer, and, and in the spring after he was able to come back and continue to recruit and, and, you know, look at where he wants to keep going. So the, it would seem as though the sky is the limit for Kansas in the short term. Certainly with this team in 2023, I mean, probably going to be a top one, top two team. You've got arguably the best player in the country, maybe the best center in the country with Hunter Dickinson. You've got El Marco Jackson, who appears to be an electrifying freshman. You've got a guy like Arterio Morris. And then you've got the veterans with Kevin McCuller, KJ Adams, and Dewan Harris. Kansas is clearly built to go a long ways this season. And then on top of that, you add in a guy like Floyd Badunga coming in in 2024. Which again, he could be playing with Dewan Harris. Dewan Harris could be coming back. KJ Adams could be coming back again. Uh, so you still maintain a core, and then the the future looks looks to be very very bright for KU uh, in the short term, the next couple of years. So, Floyd Bedunga commits to Kansas on Saturday night. Huge commitment for KU, and uh, you got to be feeling pretty good if you are a Kansas basketball fan. All right, switching over to KU football. Lance Leipold spoke with the media over the weekend. We're going to get to the first part of that audio next. 
Well, the second half will be coming up later on in the show, and we'll also be joined by David Lesky in about a little over 15 minutes. We'll take a time out. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, or Nick Chalk Sports Talk, as I like to call it, when Derek is not here. But no Derek does not mean no show. The show must go on. And on Mondays, we talk with David Lesky of Inside the Crown. David, how you doing? I'm good. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit upset that Derek is ducking me for some reason, but that's fine. I, we get to talk, and that makes me happy. Yeah, I mean, how dare Derek go on vacation? What is this? It's blasphemy. Well... Like it's fine if he goes on vacation. It's not on Monday. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll I'll let him know. I'll, we'll have a meeting. We'll have a meeting, and I'll talk to him. All right. Yeah. Keep him posted. Keep me posted. <laughs> let, let him know. Maybe maybe we'll have a conference call that yep. I won't come to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, the Royals. So last week they had a set, or they had a seven game win streak last week, and even though they didn't necessarily pick up a lot of wins over the last week, you, you wrote in your latest edition on on Inside the Crown over the weekend that it still feels like they're playing better baseball. I guess yeah. what, what makes you say that, and how do you? Why do you feel that way? Well, look, it, there, there's something I've said this before, but when a team isn't scoring runs, it's brutal. It's hard to watch. It looks like they don't care. It looks like they're not trying because that's just what it looks like. And when a team is scoring runs, even if they lose, it's fun baseball, and they're they're losing games, but they're trying real hard and all that. And so it, it, there is the inverse of that. And so them scoring some runs. Obviously helps quite a bit, um, but I mean, look, they, they, they've they've just been a better baseball team <laughs> recently. They're catching the ball. I mean, they've been catching the ball for a while, um, but they're catching the ball much better. They're 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 aggressive on the bases. They're fun. They're running. Um, I, I haven't looked this morning, so there may be a second team or a third team added. But as of yesterday, I think it was. The Royals and the Cubs were the only two teams with 30-plus homers and 30-plus deals since the All-Star break. Um, and and just, just to give some context, over the course of 162 games, the Royals, I think, are on pace, uh, on a 162-game pace since the break, for like 235 homers and 250 steals or something like that. So, uh, obviously, maybe not something they can, they can maintain, but... It's just a much more entertaining brand of baseball that actually can win games. It's not just, oh, well, we're really, really hoping that <clears throat> that we get a single here and then a double and then two singles and maybe we can get three runs out of it. No, you don't, you don't do that. They, they can hit the ball over the fence. They turn singles into doubles, doubles into triples because they steal bases. It, it's a brand of baseball that can actually win games. To your point about uh, the power, Nelson Velasquez shows up and immediately demonstrates his power. I guess, do you do you think he actually has a long term role, or what? What do you think his future looks like with the Royals? I, I missed I missed who you asked about. <laughs> oh, sorry, uh, Nelson Velasquez when he hit those oh, uh, yeah. two home runs, he demonstrated his power. What, what do you think kind of his long term role is, or could be with the team? Yeah, he's interesting. Um, I, I actually I figured you were talking about him, but you cut out right in his name, and I'm going, hmm, let me see if I can figure this out from context clues. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I don't I don't really know where he fits long term because the Royals outfield as a whole is it's really interesting. Um, I don't know that it's good, but it's not bad now, <laughs> and, and so I mean, if you look, they've got MJ Melendez who has hit really well since the break. Kyle Isbell, who has hit much better and has continued to play elite defense. 
Drew Waters, who's back now from the bereavement list, um, and he's played really well since the break, and really for a while now. And you've got Velasquez, and you've got Dyron Blanco, who I think has settled into a fourth outfielder role, which is probably perfect for a 30-year-old. Um, Samon Taylor's there. <laughs> They've got Tyler Gentry in AAA. Um, Tucker Bradley's in AAA. I don't, I don't know that he's ever going to get a shot at this point. Um, but they've, they've got there's got a lot of options, and as of this moment, um, they're all just kind of there. Um, and Jay Melendez has the most upside, I would say, offensively, and, and, and I, it's nice to have seen that since the break. Um, but that's been really helpful. But everybody's just they, – they, some of them have kept carrying tools. Velasquez's power is those defense. Drew Waters is a switch hitter, which makes him valuable – so I think I don't I don't know what Velasquez's role is moving forward because there's just so many moving parts and 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 the Royals like I wrote this morning they're they already had to make a tough decision when they when they optioned Everell Averis to AAA it was the right call um, but they still had to make that decision they got a handful more <laughs> and and not necessarily this like during this season but over the next. What what is it until March? Um, seven months. They have they have some decisions to make there, and, and kind of the, they need to figure out okay which which two or three can be starting outfielders, and then who you have to go after, and, or or do you have three starting outfielders? Do you have two starting outfielders? If you have two, which two? If you have three, which three? There, there's just a lot of questions there they have to answer. Yeah, I think it's interesting because when you start to think about the Royals in 2024, you feel pretty good about kind of the infield that aspect of it. But when you get to that outfield, right, I mean, do you feel like they really need to have that figured out by, like, the end of the season of which guys they want to roll with? Um, yeah, somewhat. I, I, I think that in some ways, yes. Um, and, and the reason I say that is because I think that they need to be very, let's use a, a term we've heard a lot, transactional. Um, and, and some of that might come down to what other teams want, you know, if, if a team says, hey, we will give you starting number four starting pitcher A for Tyler Gentry, you say, okay, well, we traded Tyler Gentry as a prospect, and we got a guy who will give us 165 innings of you know, 4.3 ERA. I, I don't know, whatever. Um, but if nobody calls for Gentry, but somebody says, we're going to give you number three for MJ Melendez, okay, you trade MJ Melendez, <laughs> and you move forward. So. So some of it will be dictated by the market, but some of it they've got to go into the offseason and they have to say, look, here are maybe they maybe they break it down into A, B, and C. Here's our A outfielders, here's our B outfielders, here's our C outfielders. We will trade from this list, and if we get this value back, we will trade from this list. You know, and kind of figure it out that way because they they have for the first time in I don't know how long a legitimate logjam. I mean, they have a handful of players who can, can fill in roles. And, and look, they can also keep all of them and say, hey, we want to hoard depth. And I would understand that in some ways, as long as you're not getting offers that can help other aspects of the team that need help. I think that would make sense if you're not, you know, if somebody is offering you a, a lower-level outfielder for one of your outfielders, oh, keep the depth, figure that out later. But, um, yeah, it's, I don't envy them. But it's a good problem to have. Is it safe to say that MJ Melendez is, is is done as a catcher? At this point, I I don't see how. 
I don't see how they could go into the offseason and say, all right, man, we took you off catcher in early May. I think it was maybe mid-May, whatever it was. Um, now get your gear back on and let's, let's try this again next year. We're going we're gonna to do the whole thing over again. I just don't see how you put them back behind the plate. Um, I suppose another team could if they do trade him this winter. But, yeah, I just I don't – I don't know how you do it at this point. It's been too long. And, and you know, you, you, you made the point that he was struggling. You thought he was struggling because he was trying to, to fill two roles and he gets back on track. It took a while, but I, you know, I don't know. I, I just don't see how he catches again. Over the weekend, the Royals played two games against the St. Louis Cardinals. What were kind of your takeaways from those games? I mean, both were weird in their own ways. Kind of what, what did you think of those games? Yeah, I mean, Cardinals aren't very good. The Royals aren't very good. So it wasn't good baseball. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think about Friday night's game. It was also weird to have an off day on Sunday. Um, that's, that's a whole scheduling quirk, too. But I think about Friday's game. The Cardinals for a run. I, 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 would, I haven't looked. And now that I'm saying this, I might see if I can figure this out. I wonder how many innings have featured three walks, and a hit batter with zero runs in baseball history. <laughs> it can't be that many. So that that started off kind of fun for the Royals, even though it was not fun while it was happening. And they scored nine in the first two innings, and they let the Cardinals claw back in because Angel Zerpa is not very good. Um, so <laughs> that, that's part of the problem there. Um, I, I think what it showed is that the Royals and you know they they. They need, they need pitching. <laughs> it, kind of, it kind of went back to the whole argument that we've had for, not argument, but conversation we've had for years. And it's a, it seems like they might have the bats. Um, it didn't look like that for a while this year, but it seems like they might have the bats. And now they need to figure out a way to limit some runs because, you know, they, they didn't do it on Friday. And then this Saturday, it's one of those games. Cole Reagans didn't have good commands kept the team in the game, I, I think there's a chance that that could actually end up being a really positive start for him because he, he worked worked around it a little bit. He threw more change-ups and fastballs. I think that was interesting. Um, but, you know, <laughs> they, they hit they hit the ball on the ground at the worst possible times on Saturday. and It, it, was, it was kind of a fun series, though. On that pitching note, uh, Brad Keller, I believe, is, is starting a rehab assignment. Uh, I don't. I don't know what. What's the expectation for him there? I mean, is it? Is it? Has the ship sailed there, or do you think there's still a chance to maybe get some get something out of that? No, I don't know. I, I don't know what what the. Well, I know what the purpose of it is. He's under contract. He's a royal, so he's uh, going back to. I think they sent him to the complex league along with Jake Brent, which is actually more interesting to me. But um, yeah, I don't know what the plan there is. It's he's a free agent and. Have my days until the free agency starts. <laughs> I, I I suppose maybe the Royals bring him back on a minor league deal because if, if you say the command and control issues were because of the shoulder injury and he's healthy, well, okay. Um, I, I guess I could buy him on a minor league deal, but also, why? <laughs> I mean, there there are other guys. I guess, I, I guess need need for pitching. That's the why. Um, but you, know, you send him out today, it's August what 14th, which means his rehab assignment will be up on September 13th, and he'll have to make a decision on him. 
And I don't really see a purpose in pitching big league games unless he's going to be a part of next year's rotation. And I don't really see a purpose of having him as a part of next year's rotation unless you just don't care about next year. Bobby Witt and Michael Garcia are, are both in the top five in defense on the infield by by some metrics. Uh, do you think that can continue in the future? I mean, are we looking at really those two guys being the, the anchors of the infield for the future? I don't see why not. Um, I mean, I think they're, they're both good defenders. So it's not it doesn't feel fluky um, from that perspective. I think I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Michael Garcia doesn't get moved in the offseason because traded moved, I mean, because if there's value there, I think that, that I don't think anybody should be off limits for the Royals. I mean, they're as, as much as, as, as much as it's been more fun lately, they're still what 43 games under 500. So this is clearly not a finished product. Um, I don't think you trade Garcia just because you feel like trading Garcia, but if somebody comes with an offer, I don't know. I, I think that some, some team says, hey, we're going to play, we need a shortstop, and we're going to trade shortstop value for your third baseman. I think you probably have to make that move. But other than that, yeah, I, I, I think that they appear to be third base and shortstop, one and two, um, for at least the next four seasons, or three or four seasons for the Royals. You kind of touched on it earlier, but the recent move by the Royals also, also made today was Edward, Edward Oliveris goes down and they bring back Drew Waters, I guess. You kind of touched on it, but there wasn't really a lot of good options for the Royals to necessarily move around. you got some guys that you want to try to get at-bats and play in games, but what, what did you kind of think of that move? Well, I mean, I, I think it was, if I had to guess, I think the Royals would have guessed that they would have been sending Kyle Isbell down. But he, his, his, his bats come around. And so it's difficult to send him down. Edward Laveris, I think you look around, who's not part of the future? It's him. He's he, I, he might be on the team next year. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I, I personally think he should have been traded a couple weeks ago. But um, you know, he's he's the guy you don't necessarily care about anymore, and that's that's too bad for him. And that, that's, it's it's kind of a it's a crass business to to think that way about a player. But I mean, it, it is what it is. He he struggled. He's been the one who has probably given the least in the batter's box and when you combine that with the fact that he doesn't play a very good defense it's kind of an easy call um my question is who, who is he playing over in triple <laughs> I mean they i mentioned gentry and john rave is down there he struggled a little bit lately but still he's he's a he's a somewhat legitimate prospect tucker bradley's down there i mean several of theirs may not get much playing time in triple either it was kind of an up-and-down week for the Royals. Who is your player of the week for this week? Well, there's no real pitchers in consideration. Um, I know last week we talked about making it the non-Bobby Witt award, but there was a player who actually outperformed Bobby Witt. MJ Melendez. He hit. It's actually ridiculous. Um, 409, 435, 864. That's an 864 slugging percentage. He had three homers. He had a 2.52. Weighted run created plus. So, for those who don't know, that's 152 percent above average, better than average. I think is the way to say that. Anyway, um, so he's he's the guy. But th- there were a lot of options. I mean, Wit was really good, 171, weighted run created plus. Isbell had a really good week. Drew Waters had a short week because he was on the bereavement list, but a good week. Michael Garcia had a good week. Salvi was above average. I mean, <laughs> give him a couple more games. Maybe Nelson Velasquez is the guy, but. 
Yeah, MJ Melendez. I think this might be the first one he's won this year, too. Well, there you go, MJ Melendez. Put, hey, he should put that – you should send him a trophy in. He can put it up uh, as player of the week. I will – I'm going to mail it to his house. The Rock Chuck Sports Talk, David Lesky, <laughs> player of the week. Uh, exactly. <laughs> David, thanks so much for your time, as always. Anything you want to plug going on with Inside the Crown before we let you go? I don't even know. What, I, I love writing in the season because I don't know what's coming up next. It's kind of based on what they do on the field. So um, just keep, keep reading. Keep reading, and, and I'll, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll surprise myself. Awesome. All right, he's Dave Lesky. Check out all his work on Inside the Crown. David, thanks so much for your time once again. Yep, thanks, Nick. All right, that was David Lesky of Inside the Crown joining us here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Always great to hear from David. He's such got such great insight and uh, great to talk to, as always, every Monday here on RCST during the Royal season. All right, one hour down here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Coming up next, we'll get into a little bit of the case of the Mondays, along with we got some uh, more Lance Leipold audio coming up later in the show. John Kirby is going to join from Rock Chalk, from uh, Jayhawk Slant uh, in the 4 o'clock hour. Also, the Chiefs played a preseason game. That's all coming up next uh, here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. And would also like to remind everyone that you can check out the Best of RCST podcast anywhere you get your podcasts if you missed any of our segments from the show or any of our previous shows. Check that out over at uh, anywhere you get your podcasts. Best of RCST podcast. You can also find it on KUSports.com. One hour down, two to go. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How much does it calm down? Look around you. With Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek is having a case of the Mondays. He's not here. He's gone. He's out of here. He's on vacation. I'm Nick Springer. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. So no Derek. It's Nick Chuck Sports Talk today and tomorrow as Derek will be back on Wednesday. I do want. I did want to give a quick reminder. I was. I meant to mention this at the end of the last hour, but I want to give a quick reminder. Uh, that for RCST Trivia, we are into the playoffs. That's going to begin tomorrow. We are going to have one playoff matchup tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So four matchups coming up this week. I didn't want anybody to think that we just forgot about trivia. Nope, we're going to bring you some trivia tomorrow with our first playoff matchup and then through the rest of the week in the, the first round of our 12-team playoffs. You can head to RCST1320 on Twitter, just RCST on Twitter, to see the playoff bracket, to see the matchups, and uh, I'm – I'm very excited. Looking forward to it. So we'll have some RCST trivia for you tomorrow here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. For now, let's get into our case of the Mondays here on RCST. And this is a, this is a segment, you know, when we do trivia, it's a lot of fun, but trivia kind of takes up a lot of our uh, more fun segments that we, that we normally like to do on the show. So getting back to a little bit here with case of the Mondays on a Monday. First up on case of the Mondays, Russell Wilson. Turns out he might still be bad. He might just suck. He might just be terrible. And nothing would make me happier if that turned out to be the case legitimately for the rest of the season because, oh, here come the Broncos. Here comes Sean Payton. The Broncos are going to be maybe not that bad. And they just collapsed again. I mean, that would be business matters. Dude, nobody was more right about the 2022 Denver Broncos than me. I sat here in this very chair and I said, 
every single time it was brought up, Broncos are going to win like five or six games. What happened? That's exactly what they did. And Derek, Derek was trying to talk me into that they were going to win more games. Nope, it was never going to happen. Russell Wilson stinks, and he continues to stink. And then he got clowned on by the Cardinals, which, by the way, like, okay, I get both sides of the of the argument with the Cardinals situation where why are you going on social media to clown on the Denver for coming back in a preseason game? But also, like, it's funny. So that kind of makes it fine, I think. I mean, if it's funny, who cares? Who cares if it's just a preseason game? If it's, I mean, if your social media team does a good job and you make something funny, I if I laugh at it, I don't think it really matters. <laughs> so that's my opinion on the Arizona Cardinals. And also, I'm never going to get mad at somebody for clowning Russell Wilson and the Broncos. I'm just not. I mean... I think it's uh, I think it's funny. Case of the Mondays also for anyone playing the Baltimore Ravens in the preseason. If you aren't aware, the Baltimore Ravens are now on a 24-game win streak in the preseason. They have lost. They have won 24 straight preseason games. That's insane. That is incredible. They defeated the Philadelphia Eagles on Saturday, 20 to 19, to extend that streak. And uh, it's just, I don't, I don't even have any words for that. That's, that's insane. That's incredible. Uh, so if you run into the Baltimore Ravens in the preseason, good luck because you are going to lose. Now in the regular season, we'll see. But uh, that's just an incredible streak. I remember, I think it was, uh, I think it was the Browns. I believe the Browns had a streak, not 24, but I think they, I think like a couple seasons in a row, they won all their preseason games. But they, what was funny about when the Browns did it was. They were winning all their preseasons in the years that they were going like 0 and 16 and you know getting one and two wins per year, but they won all their preseason games. So that was that was hilarious. But yeah, you do not want to run into the Ravens in the preseason. Otherwise, you will most definitely be having a case of the Mondays. Case of the Mondays for people who only watched the first 10 minutes of the Chiefs preseason game. If you happen to be on social media or near social media on yesterday afternoon around 12.30 to 12.45 p.m. Central Time, you would have thought that the Chiefs' season is over. You would have thought that the Chiefs are going to go 0-17. There was just a, 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 a collapse, a monumental meltdown about the Chiefs' start to their preseason game against the against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, they get down 14-0. The defense can't stop air. Patrick Mahomes is one drive. He goes down, and they they run the Blake Bell. He'd be sneak play and gets stopped on fourth and two feet. And it, it's just a disaster. People are losing their minds. There's fire and brimstone in the streets. It's chaos. It's preseason, guys. It's the first It's the first preseason game. And, you know, listen, the Chiefs responded. The defense got better. Uh, and But, well, listen, is it not very fitting that Derek Carr goes out and just absolutely balls out? against the Chiefs in a preseason game that ends up not mattering. Is that not par for the course? Is that Does that not make perfect sense that this guy, Derek Carr, would go out and just become the greatest quarterback of all time against the Chiefs for two, for a drive? Or I, don't, I, don't know, I don't even know if he played two drives uh, against the Chiefs. I mean, no, it's it's perfect. It's, it's right there. It's in the script. What is annoying about this is, is Andy Reid just lying. Lie detector test, Andy Reid. Liar. Oh yeah, I'm Andy Reid. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I think the the starters are gonna play. The you know we're gonna play the first quarter, one drive, and they're done. I mean, what what are we doing? Why what, what, why what are we doing? 
Why lie? What is the purpose of lying? It's a preseason game. What is the purpose of like, there's no, like, what are you trying to do? You're trying to smoke and mirrors your opponent? Like, oh, oh, we don't know oh, how, how long his mom's going to play. They, they don't care. It's a preseason game. Like, why, I don't understand the need to, to, to say that. It was going to be one drive regardless. Either they were going to go down and score, that was a one drive, or they were going to get stopped on fourth and short. That's their one drive. So why, if you're Andy Reid, would you, would you make, would you lie about this? What is the purpose? What is the reasoning? <laughs> I need to get to the bottom of this. I need somebody to ask Andy Reid, Andy, why do you keep lying about the preseason? I mean, what? what I don't understand. There's nothing. There is literally nothing to gain from doing that, other than getting people like me riled up, which. It worked. I'm I'm confused. I don't understand. So yeah, I don't know. But anyways, the rest of the Chiefs game, we'll we'll get more to the Chiefs game a little bit later on in this hour as well. But the rest of the Chiefs game was fine. They came back. The the ending was wild. If you stuck around for the ending, what's hilarious actually is once the Chiefs got up late in the game, I actually did turn the game off, and then I had a group chat that was like started blowing up like. Dude, whoa, this craziness is happening. And I was like, dude, did I just turn off the game like before the most exciting? I mean, you know, it's a preseason. It's preseason. If you watch from start to finish all 60 minutes of a preseason game of your team, you either cover that in some way or another, or you're just a weirdo. And I mean, listen, I didn't even watch I didn't I I you know, I didn't even watch it. I had it on occasionally, but I wasn't even locked into it the whole time. So if you watch the first 10 minutes of the Chiefs game and nothing else, you were having a case of the Mondays. But don't worry, everything's fine. The Chiefs are going to be fine. Mahomes is fine. Nobody got hurt, really. Everything's good. Case of the Mondays for driving on Iowa Street this weekend in Lawrence. As uh, as you as many of you may know, it's, it's about to be move-in time. Students are about to come back. In fact, uh, actually, I was just on uh, walking on KU's campus Last night, and it's kind of like they, you know, Greek life does rush and all that stuff, which, you know, whatever, fine, sure. Uh, I don't really want to get too deep into that. But there was lots of people out, and everyone's going to be moving in this weekend, and good luck driving on Iowa Street because that is always the street that gets the worst brunt of it. And by the way, naturally, KU or the city of Lawrence doing construction, and it's just not even close to being done, and it's going to be insane this weekend. So <laughs> you're going to be having a case of the Mondays if you try to drive on Iowa Street coming up uh, this weekend. It's 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 going to be a bad time. Uh, you're not going to want to do that. But yeah, with the Greek life stuff, like whatever, fine. I was not built for Greek life. I don't really fully understand it. I don't really know what the benefits of it are. I mean, I kind of get it if you are maybe a student that is coming from like out of state who doesn't really know anybody and you want to find a way to make quick friends. You can do that, but also it's just you can just make friends just normally, just by going around and you don't you don't have to be in a in a weird sorority fraternity situation. You can just go make make friends normally. I mean that's that's what I would say. Uh, but I I do get it. You know I I'm from Kansas, so when I moved when I went to KU, I I knew about a half a dozen other people from my high school that were also going to KU, and so you know it was there was a sense of you know I knew some people you know so I get it. I mean I guess if if you're going from far away maybe it's scary and you want to have that sense of friendship family whatever but personally it's not for me it never was for me pass sorry case of the mondays for daryl Morey. so james harden in classic james harden fashion i don't even know where he was uh there's uh, his social media video circulating around 
and he was like speaking somewhere. I don't even know what he was doing. And uh, he basically said, Daryl Morey, you suck. Like, you're terrible. This is actually, this is exactly what he said. Quote, Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be part of an organization that he's a part of. Let me say that again. Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of, the, or, of an organization that he's a part of. So, listen, that is doubling down if I've ever seen it. I mean, literally just repeating exactly what he said. If, listen, if you didn't hear me once, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> and so, that's uh, that's very interesting. But, I mean, dude, James Harden is clearly, I mean, I don't even know what to say about James Harden. He's just, this is just, he just, uh, this is just what he does. This is just what he does. He goes out and he just causes a ruckus and he just is a nuisance and he's just, that's just kind of how it goes. It's just what he does. Uh, I don't really know why. Uh, I mean, it, I think it's pretty obvious he's probably going to get traded now, I guess, or I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, but this is what he does. He goes somewhere. He's unhappy. Trade me, trade me, trade me. Gets traded. Goes somewhere. He's unhappy. Trade me, trade me, trade me. I mean, I don't know what else really to say about beyond beyond that about James Harden. This is just this is just kind of who he is. It's kind of what he does. He just uh, you know he just ruffles some feathers and wants to be traded all the time. So if I'm Daryl Morey here, I'm like, okay, sweet. You're I'm you're gonna get traded. Cool. Now, the bad thing is this. I, don't, I haven't really been paying close enough attention to know if, like, James Harden's contract has anything in it regarding trades and whatnot, because that could be a problem. But, I mean, if you're Daryl Morey, send him, I don't know, send him, I don't even know where to send him to. Or, I guess, I don't know. But, yeah, I think anybody who is acting genuinely shocked or surprised by James Harden doing something like this maybe has not been paying attention to the NBA that much or been paying attention to James Harden that much because this is, I feel like this is par for the course. I feel like this is par for the course. This is who he is. This is what he does. This is just uh, this is just how it goes. This is just how it goes. But either way, case of Monday's for Daryl Morey because he's got to deal with this, with that crap and uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's what you get for trading for James Harden. What, what does suck about this is obviously the Joel Embiid side of it. I mean, I think, I think there are a lot of KU fans that have become somewhat of a Sixers fans a little bit because of Joel Embiid and I think Joel Embiid is a very very likable star and I think there are a lot of KU fans that would certainly like to see Philadelphia succeed because Joel Embiid is there Uh, so that that, that part of it kind of sucks I guess but Case of Mondays for Daryl Morey Case of Mondays for me I'm having Case of Mondays because somebody Chris Jones will not stop being cryptic and annoying on social media and if you listen to this show, that is like my biggest pet peeve is when guys go on social media and they just tweet annoying stuff and they just be genuinely annoying. And Chris Jones has now continued to tweet various random cryptic stuff uh, that just doesn't make any sense. He tweeted a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson on Friday. Uh, he's just been doing weird stuff. He was with... He was with Michael Bay, randomly. I don't really know how to explain that. And then, earlier today, he tweets, Ain't nobody safe. Like, what are we doing? Why? Why? What? I don't understand. What is the purpose of doing this? It drives me insane. And, you know, with DeAndre, with the DeAndre Hopkins stuff, it did get to the point where I was like, I don't want him. With the OBJ, same deal. Like, bro, 
Why? What? What are? What are we doing? It's ridiculous. It's stupid. Just, bro. Like, I just, I just don't understand. Like, social media is supposed to be fun and happy, not for like tweeting insanely weird cryptic things that probably don't mean anything. To be quite honest with you, uh, it's just, it just, it just drives me insane. I can't stand it. I don't like it at all. And Chris Jones is, he's, 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 he's nearing the line. And some people might say that I've gone soft because if this were any other player besides Chris Jones, I might have already, you know, gone off the deep end on this. So maybe I'm maybe I've gone soft. But Chris Jones is almost there, man. Like, bro, either sign the extension or don't sign the extension and show up and play and take the Chiefs to the Super Bowl, and then the Chiefs will probably trade you so you can get paid somewhere else, and everybody's happy. I just like, dude, what what are we doing? I don't understand. I mean. It, it, I've, I'm literally so flustered. It, 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 I'm flabbergasted. I can't believe it. I, I just, I just don't even. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it at all. Last of one case of the Mondays here is Louisville basketball. So Louisville basketball. If you were following college basketball, these boys were terrible last year. So terrible, in fact. I think they won four games. I believe. Maybe. Uh, let's see. What, I'm, Trying to look at the record. I think they, were, they won four games last year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, four and twenty-eight for Louisville. So if that already doesn't give you a case of Mondays enough as it is, over in the offseason, they had gotten Trenton Flowers, a five-star recruit who had reclassified and signed with Louisville in the spring. Okay, sweet. Louisville maybe kind of back. They got a you know five-star guy. He announced earlier today, Trenton Flowers is leaving the program, and he is instead going to go play professionally in Australia. Now, I, I we need to do a little bit more research on this, but going the Australia route, has that really paid off for some guys that were high-level prospects? I don't really I don't really know that it has for guys that were like in the US and like could have been a high-level prospect and instead they want to go. I don't just does that really work out that much? I don't really know, to be honest. It doesn't, on the surface, it doesn't seem like it. But uh, yeah, a big blow to Louisville basketball. And here's what I don't understand. In the area, in the era of NIL, how do you let this happen? If you're a, a, a big time college, which Louisville in basketball historically is a big time basketball, how do you let this happen? How do you not go to the kid and say, hey, we're going to get you as much NIL as you could dream of to play here? Like, how, what does that say about Louisville's program that in an era of NIL, you still couldn't keep a guy in your program and he's going to go play in Australia? That's maybe the most craziest part to me. I mean, th- with NIL, you should be able to stop that from happening. You should be able to say, hey, listen, we can get you NIL, whatever, this, that, or the other. You don't need to go play in Australia. I mean, this guy did, This guy was, you know, for whatever reason, he, he, was, he was fine with going all the way across the whole world. To go play basketball instead of play at Louisville. I mean, what does that say about Louisville? I I, I don't know. It doesn't seem to be very good to me, if you ask me. So Louisville basketball is having a case of the Mondays as well. So four and twenty-eight. Maybe they might go five and twenty-seven this year. Who knows? Right, that's our case of the Mondays here on this Monday on Nick Chalk Sports Talk, Rock Chalk Sports Talk, with Derek Johnson. He's on vacation. He'll be back on Wednesday. So you'll get plenty more of me. <laughs> Uh, coming up. Uh, we'll take a short break here. When we come back, we'll get into a little bit more on the Chiefs preseason game, 
John Kirby of Jack Slant is going to join the show in about 15 minutes from now to talk all things KU football. We have a KU football superlative segment coming up in the 5 o'clock hour and also want to get the rest of that Lance Leipold audio from the weekend as well later on in the 5 o'clock hour also. That's what's up next on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We'll get into the Chiefs preseason game coming up on the other side. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, Derek Johnson on vacation, so flying solo today. But right now I'm joined by a good friend, John Kirby from Jock Slant. John, how are you doing? Nick, I'm doing well. I'm surprised you let Derek get out of here and fall camp go on vacation. <laughs> well, you know, he uh, so his wife is pregnant, actually, and I think they're taking kind of one last vacation because I think she's due later on coming up soon. So I, I decided, you know what, I don't want to give him too much of a hard time, so he can he can go on vacation well, he, for a he gets a, he, he, Yeah, he gets a pass then. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, like you said, fall camp is in the swing of things. There's a lot going on around the k program right now. I wanted to start here, though, with with sort of the Jalen Daniels situation, uh, you know, missing a couple practices here and there with, with back tightness. I guess to start off with, how kind of concerned are you by that? Does it worry you at all? Or what's kind of your thoughts on that so far? Yeah, I'm. you know, Nick, I'm not really worried right now because I, I just haven't heard anything coming from the program that makes me worry. Now, now obviously, right, everybody's on high alert in fall camp. And, and, you know, I told everybody going into this fall camp, it was going to be somewhat of a dull camp because we know, right, we know who 90% of the starters on paper were going into camp. So there wasn't going to be a lot of drama, you know, with, with, with uh, who's winning all these positions and things like that. So I think with, with Jalen missing some practice here, I think that's kind of been magnified because everybody's looking for something to talk about or get into at fall camp. So I just think you've still got time here. And, you know, they said, you know, Lance said he was out down getting treatment, and that's what he's been doing. And I, and I have heard that, it, you know, when the media portion leaves, I heard he's been going up to practice. So at this point right now, nothing has me concerned until you start telling me he's missing practices going into game week. Are you worried at all about the nature of the injury, you know, with a back tightness or something like this? Are you worried at all about this being something that maybe could be a recurring injury that could continue to kind of plague him throughout the season? Does that, does that concern you at all? Yeah, I just don't know. I don't. Hey, I, I've always, I've always joked with people. I'm a medical idiot. Okay, so <laughs> I just that stuff goes above my head. So I don't know what the specific injury is, but I've just got to think that you know, when we hear things, enough things through sources and people close, you're just not hearing anyone say, "Hey, this is a concern." This this does have us work. You're just not hearing that, which tells me right now that it's not something that I'm got on the radar. Is something that you know has me concerned. You mentioned a lot of the returners, obviously on the squad. One area where they didn't, where they lost a guy with Lonnie Phelps was on the D line, and there was some talk about Jeremy Robinson possibly filling that role. I mean, how do you kind of see that working with no Lonnie Phelps now? Is it going to be kind of a committee situation? Is it going to be is Jeremy Robinson ready to take the next step? Could a Hayden Hatcher do that? How do you kind of view the D line working going into the season? Well, I think you've got you've got a few things at play when you're talking about the whole D line. Okay, you've got obviously a lot of new faces because a lot of snaps are gone. So when you talk about Jeremy Robinson, 
you know, he he can give you some pass rush. But I think if there's a if there's ever a strong side defensive end and a weakness side defensive end, he would probably be more your strong side. Whereas maybe you hope your you know your a lot of your pass rush comes from the weak side, where that's your Hayden Hatcher. I've heard I, I reported this the other day. I heard Austin Booker's had a great camp. He is really coming on. Uh, Patrick Joyner came from Utah State, and you know he's got some talent. He originally signed with Miami out of high school. He was limited in the spring. He's going now. You got Dylan Brooks from Auburn. So you know that there are some guys there with some athleticism and some length who can step in. It's just you know you haven't seen him really do that yet. So and then in the middle of the line. I think they're going to be more athletic. I mean, I look at Devin Phillips, I look at Tommy Dunn, and you got Gage Keys, who, you know, Gage Keys is a God, he's a great looking physical specimen. He's like 6'5, 290 pounds, and, you know, they get him for three more years to develop him. So, you know, I think if there's an area going into fall camp that where I was concerned, that now I'm a little least concerned, I would say it's a defensive line. Yeah, I'm really curious to see specifically uh, a couple of younger guys. Uh, Tommy, Tommy Dunn and DJ Withers, two of the guys in the middle, younger guys that have a chance to come along and maybe take some more steps. What do you think about those two guys maybe stepping up and maybe taking the next step as younger players? Well, yeah, I think you know, I think right now Tommy Dunn's probably you know penciled in at least on my depth chart is the other starter next to Phillips at defensive tackle. And Withers has come on; he's gained a lot of weight and got stronger since he got in the program. And I think it's important to note also. Nick, that you know, when you looked at the rotation under Jim Panagos at D tackle, he rotates his guys. Okay. I mean, he just doesn't go with, hey, you're my two starters, and then you other two guys will just play minimal. He does do a pretty good job about getting guys in and out and keeping them fresh. So I think that's a deal where you're going to see four or five bodies throughout the season rotating because it's a long season, and you know, those guys get banged up and you need, them, you need to keep them as fresh as you can. Looking at the defense as a whole, Brian Borland a couple weeks ago said that he the defense wasn't going to be the weak link anymore. I guess when you hear that, what do you think? And what do you think is going to be most important for the defense not being that kind of weak link that maybe some people have viewed them as over the past couple seasons? Well, I think number one is just experience and, and guys returning. I mean, you bring back 4,000 snaps in the secondary. You bring back a lot of experience and guys who started now. Linebacker, you know, you've got some turnover on the D-line. But it's it's really year three in the system. And and what, this is what their third fall camp they've had with guys. It's only their They only had two spring football. So I think what you look at in the defense, Nick, is you hope that the system's really in play, and, and the big thing that I'm really curious to see, because some of the players have hinted at it over time, especially in ball camp, is the different ways they're going to get pressure on. Like you said earlier, obviously when you lose Lonnie Phelps, there's your sack leader and probably your most explosive pass rusher. You've got to come up with some ways to get to the quarterback. And I mean, you know, Kansas fans who've been around for a long time remember the Mangino years where Bill Young was the defensive coordinator and he was kind of the, he was always known as the guru of the zone blitz. And there were several years there where the best pass rusher was a linebacker. And it was because they disguised on the blitz and, and brought guys from different areas. And I really think that's what you're going to see with this defense. You know, I thought it was interesting today, Tylo Onatolu, the defensive ends coach, was talking about putting pressure on the quarterback. And he made a comment and said, hey, we're doing some things. We've got some things in play. 
but I'm not going to talk about them here. So, I mean, that tells you right there, they've been coming up with things in the off season and some different schemes to, to get pressure on the quarterback that we probably haven't seen yet. Moving over to the offensive side, I'm really curious about the offensive line right now. Dominic Pooney sounds like he's going to be moving out to the tackle position. And then you've got a bunch of different guys. You've got some new guys, and you've got some still other guys that are returning. I guess, how do you see that playing out? I mean, I feel like we know Pooney's going to be somewhere. Mike Nowitzki probably cabled to it right tackle. But what about that interior? What about those guard spots? Yeah, I think there's still some competition going on there. But but right now, I mean, if I had to put, put money on it, I'd say you got Pooney at left tackle, who I don't – I don't know if a lot of a lot of people out there who follow KU football really know that Pooney came to Kansas as a tackle, okay? Just because he played guard last year, I think a lot of people think, hey, he's a guard. No, he came to Kansas as a tackle. He told me when we were talking the other day that he feels more comfortable playing tackle. So, you know, that may be more of a natural position than he actually played last year. And then you've got some guys fighting in there. You've got Michael Ford who I think will be a starting guard. Then you've got Reed Adams, who I right now is my leader to be a starting guard. Then you've got guys that can back them up, the Kobe Baines and Lavelle from, from Arizona State. I mean, there's some depth there, and you, you know how Fuchs does it. He, he's going to take his best 8-0 lineman, and he's going to play him. And he's got some flexibility because he can move forward to center if need be. Kobe Baines could move the tackle if need be. Um, he, even even Cable Dew was playing some left tackle. So he's got some ways to shift guys around based on alignments to get what he feels are his best five linemen at that time on the field. Yeah, what do you think the ceiling is for that offensive line? You know, Last year they were really good to really solid, obviously. I mean, could they take that next step forward and be one of the best units in the Big 12, you think? Well, I don't know why they shouldn't. I mean, they've got, they bring everybody back except for Bostick, and you're moving Pooney, who now has a year of Power 5 experience, over to the left tackle. So you've got a lot of guys back who've played a lot of football. You've got a guy with some experience. They've been in Fook's system. They understand. You know, Kansas runs, Kansas runs a pretty complicated offense. I mean, they do a lot of stuff. They do a lot of motions. They do a lot of different formations. And, and Kotelnik, he's a very creative guy. So, you know, those guys understand now the system and what's asked of them. So I don't think there's – they should be as good or better than what we saw last year. I'm curious about Dylan McDuffie as well coming into the running back room. You've already got a Devin Neal. Daniel Hyshaw is working his way back. You've got kind of that X-factor type guy with Savion Morrison. What, where do you think he fits in, and what kind of role do you think he'll have with the offense? Well, you know, he had a 1,000-yard year at Buffalo. Okay? Then he went to Georgia Tech, and, and it just didn't get many carries last year. Uh, I think he's one of the guys that's probably improved his stock in fall camp, but I also think he's in a crowded situation where as long as Highshaw stays healthy, all right, I mean, Devin Neal and Highshaw is a one-two punch are about as good as it comes. So where McDuffie fits in, I don't know. I'd probably have to say maybe the three spot right now. And, and if those guys are healthy, you've got to think they're going to be the first two guys to dial up the carries to. Now, let's look back over the history over the last two years. And by the end of the year, KU's been so banged up at running back that, you know, Devin Neal shouldered the load. He's fighting through being banged up. The year before, Devin missed the last few games, and they ended up having to go with some non-scholarship running backs to get carries. So that is a position where we may sit here right now and say, Devin Neal's one and Highshaw's two, or they're 1A and 1B, and then you got everybody else. But 
what we've seen, the pattern over these last couple of years, you'll take every running back you can get. Overall, do you, what do you think is maybe the biggest difference in fall camp this year between last year? Is there anything you've noticed just kind of overall about the differences between this year and last year at fall camp? Well, there's a huge difference. I mean, the confidence in the program. I mean, these guys are coming off the first bowl game they've played in since 2008 as a program. I mean, the direction of the program, uh, just the confidence that the kids have. You know, I was talking with uh, Jalen Daniels about this and just – you know, what's it like walking around campus or walking around town now? And, you know, he said, you know, people are talking football. People are, people know who he is and, and there's an excitement around the program. And I think the big difference is, is that there's expectations now and these guys can see that. And I think there's excitement. You've got, you know, a stadium announcement. You've got new locker rooms, new weight room. I mean, there's just a lot of things going on right now with KU football that are in a positive, positive direction. Is there any guy right now that you feel like maybe isn't getting a lot of talk or a lot of buzz that you think has a chance to, to maybe make an impact this season? You know, I'm going to say, you know, Austin Booker at defensive end is one. He transferred in from Minnesota. We kind of touched on him earlier. I think he's got a chance to step up and do some good things. I think Trevor Wilson, uh, who's, you know, has been kind of quiet since coming from Buffalo. I've heard he's had a good fall camp. I think he's a guy that can do some things. Uh, Demarius McGee, a corner from LSU. I look, I look for him to be fighting to get in and some reps at corner. So, yeah, there are some guys that I think that have, you know, especially some of these portal guys that, you know, had a spring to come in and learn, and now they're starting to fit in. One last thing I wanted to ask you about was – the recruiting situation for KU. Obviously, they got a lot of guys nailed down in the in the summer, but there's one guy, a local guy, that's still kind of floating out there, and that's that's Michael Boganowski. I was just curious if you had any update or anything else about a timeline for his decision or kind of what what's up what's up with uh, Michael Boganowski. Well, the, the the timeline I think has become even more questionable than we knew a few weeks ago. And when when I had a chance to talk to him. You know, Kansas was his last unofficial visit he took at the end of July. He also went to KU, uh, K-State, and he also went to Oklahoma. So I think the, the feel was he would take these official visits, and then he would kind of sit down with his family and maybe come up with a decision. But now, the further this thing goes, and the, the, if this gets into early September, I think it's going to get real interesting because he mentioned the possibility about going in and checking out some games going to some places and just seeing what the, you know, the game day's like and, and being back around staff. And then, you know, there, there's a possibility that he could go back to Florida State again. USC just offered him. I mean, could they come into the picture? So, I, number one, I don't think there is any timeline. And, and listen, I've seen some comments from people about, hey, why isn't this kid deciding? You know what? He's got... He's got the next few months to figure this out. He doesn't have to rush through this. And kudos to him, kudos to the family. You know, they're taking their time. They want to make the right decision and make sure that, you know, they're, they're, they're doing the right thing. Do you, do you feel like there's any other targets KU's after? I mean, I know they, they, it feels like they kind of got everybody they wanted to get in the summer. Is, is there anybody else that's kind of on their radar, you think, right now? Yeah, there are. There is um, a kid named Rutledge from, from Iowa who visited at the end of July, he's coming off a back injury. He did real well at KU's camp. I know Scott Fuchs is keeping a close eye on him. I think, he, you know, they told him that they want to see what he looks like in his first couple weeks of coming back, see what, uh, 
you know, the, the last thing they saw from him was he got injured and he missed like the last half of his junior year. And then B.J. Kennedy, another kid, local guy here from Topeka, who was the number one player in the state till he had, you know, surgery. And, and, and he's trying to come back from that. And I communicated with him the other day. And, you know, he said, you know, I, I really don't even want to do an article right now on where things are. I just want to go out and show people that I'm back and that I, you know, I'm, I'm back before where I was on the injury, and I just want to—I want to let my film do the talking. So, I mean, I think the Kansas staff will keep a close eye on him to see what he looks like. All right, he is John Kirby from JackSlantRivals.com. John, thanks so much for your time. All right, Nick, thanks for having me. That was John Kirby of JackSlantRivals.com. Be sure to check out all of his work over there as well. Thanks so much to John for coming on the show and giving us an insight into KU football as we are getting closer and closer to the start of the season, and I love that he touched on there about just the the general sense and general feel around fall camp is, you know, there's a level of confidence. There's, there's These guys are coming off of a, of a bowl season, and, and they want more, and it feels like that has certainly carried over, that uh, anticipation, that excitement, and that, that want to has carried over into uh, fall camp and will continue, hopefully, into the fall season. All right, two hours down, one to go here on RCST. Coming up, we'll get to our K football superlatives. Got some Lance Leipold audio as well coming up in the 5 o'clock hour as well. The rest of the uh, audio that we played from earlier in the show, that is coming up next here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. 5 o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Nick Chalk Sports Talk today. Derek Johnson is on vacation. I'm Nick Springer. With you the rest of this show, and Derek will be gone tomorrow, so I'll have all of tomorrow's show as well from 3 to 6 right here on KLWN. Derek will be back on Wednesday, and a lot going on. Tomorrow, a big announcement is expected uh, with the renovations happening for KU. They've got a couple of speakers expected to be speaking tomorrow afternoon and potentially maybe uh, renderings, rendering season, possibly. <laughs> we'll see what all comes out tomorrow with uh, the big announcement planned for KU and KU football. Whatever audio there is, Lance Leipold, Doug Gerard, Travis Goff, we'll share that audio with you on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on tomorrow's show as well. So you'll definitely want to be tuned in for that tomorrow. And a reminder, if you missed any of our previous segments of today's show, or if you missed anything from tomorrow's show or any of our previous shows, you can head to the Best of RCST podcast anywhere you get your podcasts and find all of our previous shows from there. And also, you can also find us on KUSports.com now as well. So Derek and I began this segment last week, KU Football Superlatives. We have a bowl, a mystery bowl of a bunch of different things written down on notes of paper. Draw one out, talk about it a little bit involving KU as we get closer and closer to kickoff for KU. And obviously, even more with the excitement now is the the news of tomorrow, whatever comes out about that with the renderings and stuff. So that'll just even more serve to build the anticipation, build the hype for KU football. So I've got my little bowl here. I don't know if you can hear when I shake it in front of the mic. It's I don't know, maybe not. I, I mean, I think it's a cool effect. Even if you can't hear it, too bad. I'm going to keep doing it. All right, draw one out. First on the docket for K football superlatives. Most likely to be a day one or day two NFL draft pick. That's very interesting. Uh, you know, uh, for a long time, for many, many years, you would say no one <laughs> if you got this question uh, regarding K football. There wasn't really very many good options out there. And so. I don't know. We'll see what happens here. Uh, there are some guys that I think certainly will pique the interest of a lot of NFL scouts. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about guys like Jeremy Robinson, obviously a guy like Jalen Daniels, Devin Neal. 
But the question here, obviously the most important part of this, is day one or day two NFL draft pick. Uh, you know, with a guy like Devin Neal, Devin Neal to me is certainly an NFL player, but I just don't, I don't know how high he'll get drafted because obviously running backs are not valued super highly right now in the NFL. I mean, you don't see, I mean, unless you're the Lions and you just go get Jameer Gibbs, but you don't see really high-end running backs going very high in the draft. So even if Devin Neal is a talent that is good enough to be, you know, a day one or day two guy, I don't know if that necessarily means that he is going to be a day one or day two guy. I think you look at Jalen Daniels and there's certainly some questions. There's questions about his health, which is now continued with what he's been dealing with with some back tightness. Early. I mean, if he can't stay healthy, that is going to really, really hurt his draft stock uh, because at the end of the day, he has not played a full season yet for KU uh, over the so far in his career. He hasn't, he hasn't been healthy enough to play a full season. So I think you need to see him do that. And obviously he's not, you know, he's not the tallest guy in the world, which we have seen plenty of quarterbacks who are not uh, prototypical in size still get drafted highly, but I'm not sure. I mean, listen, if he's a Heisman candidate, maybe, but uh, we'll, we'll see. I don't know if I would necessarily go with Jalen Daniels. Then you look at somebody like, uh, you know, is it Dominic Pooney on the radar potentially? If he has a great year at tackle, is, uh, you know, is a Lawrence Arnold on the radar? If he has a great year, is a Luke Graham? I, I don't know. Devin Neal definitely on the offense is, I think, number one. But a guy that you might not think necessarily of right away is Mason Fairchild. Mason Fairchild, as a tight end, if he has another really great year, he, I think, has a lot of potential to be drafted. Day one or day two, I'm not really sure, maybe. You look at the defense, like I said, there's been some talk about uh, some scouts really liking Jeremy Robinson, probably for his athletic ability and everything he brings to the table. Uh, you've added a couple of transfers on there that maybe have a chance. You look at the linebacker position, probably none of those guys. You go to the secondary I, I don't know, Kobe Bryant. I mean, if Kobe Bryant's first-team All-American and has six, seven, eight interceptions this season, maybe he gets some buzz to where he might be in a situation to get drafted rather highly. Uh, you look in the secondary, Kenny Logan probably not looking at getting drafted day one or day two. So, I, I don't know. I mean, the best answer here may very well be a guy like Devin Neal if he has a big year running the ball. Uh, there's been talk about, you know, a guy like Daniel Hyshaw in the NFL. But I think when you hear talk about those types of guys, it's more of a – it's. NFL teams view that as more of a developmental type player where it's like they can see what the potential is there, but that doesn't mean they're going to necessarily go and try to reach for a guy like that early in the draft. Uh, so I, this is tough. I mean, I, I don't I don't know that Jalen Daniels is, is in that conversation quite yet as a quarterback. Uh, you know, he seems like another guy that maybe is a, is a later round guy. Devin Neal, if he has a big year, potentially, but... Uh, you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Obviously, you look at someone like Lonnie Phelps, who declared and ended up going undrafted. You know, and there's been other stories of KU players that have had that had a similar path. And uh, there's not very many guys that have been drafted a day on day one or day two with, for KU in recent history. So, it's the the ceiling. The bar is high. The bar is high to reach that level. And I think Devin Neal might be the vote here. Might be the pick for me. Uh, I mean. I don't know, maybe a Jamie Robinson type. Craig Young maybe has a lot of different appeal because of his versatility. But again, day one, day two, eh, probably not. So, I don't know. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I, I'll, I'm i going to say Devin Neal right now, though. I'm going to say Devin Neal. Devin Neal most likely to get drafted day one or day two in the NFL draft. Okay, we go back to the bucket. We look for another... Keep football spread a little. Let's see. Got to mix it up here. 
All right. This one, best offensive player not named Jalen Daniels. All right, so not named Jalen Daniels, best offensive player. You look, you go down the list. You look at the running back position. You have Devin Neal, guy we just talked about. You have Daniel Hyshaw. What if he explodes back and is at the same level he was pre-injury last season? You go to the wide receiver position. You have Lawrence Arnold. You have Luke Grimm. You have Quentin Skinner. Those are all three candidates, I think, to be potential guys that could be a number one receiver. You go to the tight end position. You have Mason Fairchild, Jared Casey, Trevor Cardell has been very much impressive in camp from what we've heard from different coaches. You go to the offensive line. Mike Nowitzki uh, is a perennial, you know, Big Twelve, all Big Twelve caliber player. Dominic Pooney, a guy that I just talked about as well. So there's there's definitely some some good options here. I, I mean, I think you have to look at Devin Neal number one. If he's a guy that can be a reliable, consistent player who's getting you good amounts of scrimmage yards, good amounts of yards after contact, he, he might be the answer here. He might be the answer here. Uh, again, I think with Daniel Hyshaw, the question is health. The question is, can he replicate that level of production that he enjoyed very briefly at the start of the season for the first three and a half games, four games, however many games it was? That's the real question with... Uh, with Hyshaw, you go to the receiver position, and with the with the receiver position, I actually think it's it's less about which of those guys can be the best. It's more about <clears throat> you have three receivers that are all quality receivers, uh, and what if they just all kind of because they're all at a pretty high level, none of them really separate, and they're all three you know between forty and fifty catches, all three between seven hundred eight hundred yards, all three getting six, seven, eight touchdown pat touchdown catches. To where there's not really enough separation to say definitively, Lawrence Arnold was the best offensive player, not named Jalen Daniels. Luke Grimm was the best offensive player, not named Jalen Daniels. I, I, I don't know. I think that's very possible. Where there may there may not be enough separation statistically to look at those guys and say one way or the other, this guy was the best offensive player besides the quarterback. And listen, you could run into that same problem at the running back position. I mean, if if Hyshaw and Neal are both kind of splitting, and then you bring in Dylan McDuffie, Savion Morrison gets a carry here or there. You know, maybe those guys are all kind of in the same boat as well, where they're averaging however many X number of yards per carry. They'll have about the same number of stats, to where it's it'll be it would be tough to say definitively one way or the other if this guy has been way better and been the second best player. Then you go to the offensive line, and on the offensive line, I think there's two candidates: Mike Davitsky and Dominic Pooney, who I both mentioned. Dominic Pooney uh, has been a revelation. Obviously, a guy that comes from D two goes to guard for KU. <clears throat> And was maybe one of your best offensive linemen last season, if not the best offensive lineman. I think you can. Def- I think you could definitely make that claim that he was the best. Then you look at a guy like Mike Davinsky. Like I said, a, a perennial rock, a such a solid player, such a solid leader, such a solid center of the offense, which is critical, obviously, to have a great center that can communicate with the rest of your offensive line and make sure everybody's in the right spots at the right times and everything. And I do worry. Uh, with Mike Nowitzki, if there, if sometimes we don't slip into a sort of just, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, like we overlook him, we we don't appreciate him enough necessarily for what he does and what his role is. I think maybe that's possible, but I don't know. He gets a lot of praise too, and he's and he's on all Big Twelve teams, so I'm not a hundred percent sure, but we'll see. So I don't think Nowitzki would be the answer. I think if you look at Pooney and he is that just ultimate left tackle where nobody's getting around him. He's got the blind side of Jalen Daniels and Jason B, and he's looking great. Uh, he he could be the guy. He could be the guy. It's not the most flashy pick in the world, obviously, but he he could be that guy. 
Uh, again, I just think with the receivers, is there enough separation between those three guys? Is Can Lawrence Arnold or Luke Graham or Quentin Skinner, can one of those guys statistically and on the field make a significant enough, significant enough separation to where you can make that claim, right? Can one of them get 20 catches more than the other guys? Can one of them get 200, 300, 400 yards more? Can one of them get 10 touchdowns instead of six? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. And it could be any of those three guys, right? I mean, I think you could sit here today and say, I think it's going to be Luke Grimm. I think it's going to be Lord Tarnall. I think it's going to be Quentin Skinner. I think if you make the argument for any one of those three guys, you could make that claim and and kind of you know go out like that uh, if you wanted to look at that. I look at it from that way, but I don't know. I have a hard time picking between those three. I think the Lawrence Arnold maybe has the most upside, but Luke Grimm is the most consistent, and then Quentin Skinner is a guy that if he's able to develop more and go beyond just being sort of that sort of deep threat guy, and he can be maybe a guy you get you get the ball in his hands in a yards after catch situation and he can take off in the open field and whatnot and rack up yards after catch and things like that. Maybe that maybe it's him. Maybe it's him. Uh, so I think there's a lot to like from those three guys, but I just don't know if any of those guys are going to separate enough to where you can say, without a doubt, this was the next best player on the offense besides number six. So then that kind of circles you back to the running back position. I guess I missed the tight ends. With the tight ends, uh, I think it just comes down to usage rate. I mean, you have Jay, you have Mason Fairchild. You have Jared Casey. Jared Casey is – I just don't think the numbers would be there for him to be able to claim that he's the best player. I mean, unless this guy just goes out and is just absolutely dominant in blocking, pancaking people, whatever, setting incredible blocks, unless he's that level of player and it, like – pops on film or it pops when you watch in games I don't think the numbers are going to be there for him in terms of his receiving because he's very much a guy that is going to be used as sort of a uh, you know to shadow plays and to use for trick plays and whatnot you go back to the Texas Tech game the play he made there that's kind of his role in the offense and I think he really thrives in that role Uh, and then you look at Mason Fairchild Mason Fairchild had a great season last season and he could put up similar numbers again this season if he puts up similar numbers, I don't think you can say he's the next best offensive player. If he goes beyond that, I think you have a case. If he's uh, you know, a really quality blocker and exceeds his receiving numbers from last year by a little bit, uh, maybe you make a case for him as well. But I go back to the running back position, and I hate to give the same answer I gave to the first question, but this might be Devin Neal. This might be Devin Neal. Uh, he's, he's your best running back. He can kind of do it all. There was plenty. There was a couple games last season where he was just dominant. He took over the game. You think Oklahoma State, Texas Tech in 190 yards rushing. People may forget that, but you know he's just he's just a rock. He's just a rock in there, and he makes great plays. And if he can continue to do that, and you know sprinkle in two or three or four games this season where he's in takeover mode and has you know over 150 yards, couple touchdowns, whatever from scrimmage and everything like that, I think he's probably the answer. I mean. It just comes down to what Daniel Hyshaw can do and how much Daniel Hyshaw maybe takes away is not the right phrase, but how much Daniel Hyshaw gets extra carries to where that kind of puts a cap on what Devin Neal can do. Uh, But at the end of the day, Andy Kolnicki has said, you know, hey, if there's a guy that's just in a game and he is locked in, we're going to keep feeding him. So I I have no doubt that if Devin Neal has a game where he's in takeover mode that I think Kolnicki would continue to get him the ball. But I I think it very well could be Devin Neal. I mean, and listen, if you have a quarterback and running back duo like that, that are your two best players, not only on your offense, but probably on your team, that can take you a lot of places. That can take you, you know, to a bowl game or possibly beyond. 
So that it's still really, really exciting. And I and I think that's probably the answer I'll go with here is Devin Neal. Because he's just he's just too electrifying. He's just a, too much of a guy that can that can really take over a game and, and be that, that bell cow type player uh, to where he can be really, really impressive. So I think I'm going to go with Devin Neal as my answer here as well. You could easily make a case for the receivers. You could easily make a case for maybe a Mason Fairchild if his numbers go up a little bit uh, receiving-wise. But I'm looking at Devin Neal here, and I think that's I think that's my answer. Devin Neal, best player on the offense, not named Jalen Daniels. All right, that's okay. That's our okay. K football superlatives for the day today. We'll do it again tomorrow, same time, same place at five o'clock here on on the five o five segment here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer, and Derek Johnson is out on vacation. And he'll be on vacation tomorrow as well. He'll be back on Wednesday. So we'll have Nick Chuck Sports Talk between uh, the rest of today, the rest of the day today, and also on tomorrow's show. But we try, we got a, a packed rest of the show and a packed show tomorrow as well. We're going to get you the rest of the Lance Leipold audio from over the weekend when he spoke with the media. Played the first part of that earlier in the show today. We'll get to the rest of that coming up uh, here in just a few minutes on the other side. Then we'll get to RCS to replay with David Lesky as well to wrap up the show today. And on tomorrow's show, like I said, I've been kind of teasing a little bit. Tomorrow, expecting a big announcement from KU uh, in the afternoon regarding their stadium renovations project, regarding the that everything going on with that. Uh, and it, it's... I don't really know exactly what to expect, but it seems like there's going to be a lot to uh, to dive into. There's going to be a lot of audio to get to as well. Got uh, I think Travis Goff, Doug, Doug Gerard, Douglas Gerard, the chancellor for KU, and Lance Leipold all expected to speak. Uh, so it should be a really, really exciting. And like I said, we'll see if we get renderings for rendering season. I don't know. That's TBD, but it'll definitely be an exciting show tomorrow as well. So we'll take a short time out right now. When we come back, we'll get to the rest of that Lance Leipold audio from over the weekend when he spoke with the media. Keep it right here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that would be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.